Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. When I think about what the challenges that CMOs universally are facing are, at the end of the day, the first and foremost thing is, is who, what is your brand and who are you and how are you different and what do you stand for? Um, and that is inextricably linked with how you as a marketing organization show up to enable growth to an organization. I think we talk too much about that it being an or statement when it absolutely is an and statement. So I think both of those are the first two things that every CMO is worried about. I think the third thing is really sort of trying to deal with the just the preponderance and the proliferation of, of marketing messages and channels and spend and all of those things. So really right-sizing the portfolio to do what you need done at the right time and, and a time when the customers can really listen and pay attention. I think certainly how you use MarTech and digital assets to do more at a lower cost point is a big concern for all of us. And then last but not least, how do you participate in the governance of the organization as a true partner and collaborator? And how does that show up with your team so that you're able to get the best people on, on your team and in your organization? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney with Adweek, and I am thrilled today to be with Suzanne Kugel. She is the global CMO of Deloitte. Suzanne, welcome. Thank you, Jenny. It's fabulous to be here. Always a pleasure. I know. Well, I was just saying, we've known each other for a number of years now. Um, I mean, you're one of the first people I've known in uh, in this industry, um, you know, you have been such a cornerstone of um, the industry of the CMO community, and we're gonna we're gonna unpack that a little bit. So um, you're you're in the hot seat, <laughs> but I know you do your own interviews too. So this is this is actually very very fun. So good good good. I'm looking forward. forward to it. Well, good. Well, so let's start by just you know for those who who. Um, I would be surprised, don't know you, um, but there have to be maybe a few people like that out there. Um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. I know you've been at Deloitte now for over 20 years. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Um, yeah. So I started at Deloitte quite some time ago. I've had the pleasure of having about seven major roles at Deloitte, which is what's kept me at the firm um, and have just uh, loved being in the professional services organization you know, as we like to say that we're deeply involved in sort of leading the world with solutions to the world's, you know, thorniest problems. And in that, um, as you mentioned, I have been the U.S. CMO for the last four years and then just recently became the global CMO. And I often joke that for all of my prior clients out there, this current role is penance for all the times because I grew up in the consulting part of the business providing <laughs> advice in the sales and marketing parts of the organization. And so all the times when I said, you know, this is not that difficult and can't you move faster now in my current seat, I say, well, it is actually pretty difficult and it does take time. So, yeah, yeah, no, there's something, I mean, 
it, there's something meta about what you do, obviously, now. I mean, you know, you're you're giving advice, like, but you're living the role, right? right. So talk about that duality. I mean, it is so much complexity. Um, you have to kind of talk about putting on multiple hats. You have to see things from your client's perspective. And obviously, literally, you're you're going through those things day to day yourself. Yeah, well, and I and I appreciate your kind remarks as we got started. I mean, the way I think about it is I have three major roles. One is to humanize the brand. Deloitte is the largest professional service organization globally, but a lot of people, because of that breadth of um, offerings that we have, it's a hard product set to get across in the marketplace. So I do talk a lot about humanizing um, the Deloitte brand as a major employer, as a, you know, kind of major, um, you know, large organization that's creating change in the world from both a solution and a purpose perspective. The second thing, as you mentioned, I do try to be a real friend to the profession. Um, so I, I hope to be seen and try very hard to be doing things to really kind of bolster and support fellow CMOs. I'm a huge believer in the power of marketing and um, anything I can do to help fellow CMOs be successful. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously very, very keen to do that. And then last but not least is, um, because I am going through, you know, our own marketing transformation and modernization at Deloitte and, and just, you know, have all of the same shared problems that every CMO has. And I actually think that that duality allows me to have a lot of empathy to see both, you know, both sides of it, right? So hopefully, uh, you know, people can see that and hear that both from my team's perspective. I talk about other examples that I hear in the marketplace from fellow CMOs. And then obviously, as I bring our Deloitte stories out to other CMOs that that they hear that from that and that the duality is a positive. So so let's talk about this, Suzanne, because um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask you the question that people like to ask me, which is, so what is keeping CMOs up at night right now? What is the single biggest thing that's that they're you know that they're um, challenged by or thinking about, especially as we sit here in early 2024, right? It's always it's always good to level set because because the the inputs are constantly changing, right? I mean, if there's one thing about the role, it's that it's never static. Mm-hmm. It's never the same thing. And um, the rules are always changing because the forces are always changing. But, like, as we sit here right now in this moment, you know, what are the biggest – what's the biggest thing or things that you think um, – it's a, it's an interesting time. And I think you and I have both lived through some different eras right. of the CMO. Right. So where are we right now? Yeah, it is a really interesting time. And um, I was smiling when you asked your initial question, because I think as CMOs, we would be, we would feel pretty fortunate if it were one thing that were keeping us um, up at mm-hmm. night. But certainly the macro environment has a lot of tricky things that are unfolding, whether it's, you know, economic headwinds, all of the um, the opportunity that being very purpose-driven provides us. I think the participation of our people and our customers with respect to wanting a real influence on what an organization does. Um, and, you know, and certainly the rapidly changing technology environment, right? All of those things are, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that what you like most about a situation is inextricably linked with what you like least. So all of those things have tremendous opportunity and also, you know, have the opportunity to go dreadfully awry as well. But, you know, when I think about what the challenges that CMOs universally are facing are, you know, at the end of the day, the first and foremost thing is, is who, what is your brand and who are you and how are you different and what do you stand for? 
Um, and that is inextricably linked with how you as a marketing organization show up to enable growth to an organization. I think we talk too much about that it being an or statement when it absolutely is an and statement. So I think both of those are the first two things that every CMO is worried about. I think the third thing is really sort of trying to deal with the just the preponderance and the proliferation of, of marketing messages and channels and spend and all of those things. So really right sizing the portfolio to do what you need done at the right time um, and, and a time when the customers can really listen and pay attention. Um, I think certainly how you use MarTech and digital assets to do more at a lower cost point is a big concern for all of us. And then last but not least, how do you participate in the governance of the organization as a true partner mm -hmm. and collaborator? And how does that show up with your team so that you're able to get the best people on, on your team and in your organization? Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome code-dependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Experience a CMS where you can build dynamic content without code. Native localization that lets you translate your site in one click to reach global audiences. And third-party apps and integrations so you can build faster. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in even asking that question, I'm, I'm actually, I'm checking myself because the more, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know this too, the more and more, I think, unfortunately, we like to lump CMOs together as like a single entity, you know what I mean, as if it's a one-size-fits-all, and it's so not. And I think one of the biggest things when you really have conversations with CMOs, you realize, depending on what kind of company they're with, what sector, B2B, B2C, anything in between, I mean, it it, it is not a one-size-fits-all, right? right? Mm -hmm. It is so variable. So the things you just articulated so well happen to be, I would argue, the things that do apply across the board, but – that's almost like where it stops, you know? And so maybe there's, and listen, I mean, we're always kind, kind of working to sort of rewrite the CMO narrative because I think it's what, um, the headlines are what get us in trouble. And I think it does, it does a disservice to CMOs. Um, so now that I asked you, what are all the common things they're all dealing with? Now can we just, from your perspective, break down the variability that exists in the role? Yeah. Like I just described. I mean, from your standpoint, um, why do we need to, um, as an industry, as a community, and frankly, why do other business leaders not need to start to think more um, about the differences in the role and how it manifests in organizations, and how can that help support CMOs in yeah. there? Yeah, well, I um, think you success. said it well, right, um, that there is a lot of variability. The way I think about it is that if you think about those as enduring questions, the answers are the variability Right. So what is right for Deloitte at this time probably won't be, you know, right for Deloitte in five years time and is not right for maybe a heavily B2C company or, um, you know, depending on, you know, sure. so, so I, I do think that we talk a lot about using the language of the business. But first and foremost, I spend a lot of time and, and having grown up in the business, um, you know, I, I perhaps 
find that a little bit easier, right, is is really being deeply steeped in what is our business strategy and how are we truly yeah. differentiated? And then how can I use the superpowers of my organization to be able to unlock that? We spend a lot of time, um, you know, you think about the variability of what I would be worried about versus others. We definitely have a lot of solutions that we're bringing to the marketplace, but there is a lot of personal element to the offerings and the way those products are delivered, if you will, to our clients. So I think a lot about are our people able to carry the marketing messages to the organization? And again, Mm. many of our um, uh, CMOs worry about that as well. But I spend a lot of time thinking about how how can I take advantage of 475,000 people that want to be ambassadors of Deloitte in big and small ways. And then you start doing the math with respect to, you know, for every person that's been a Deloitte, there's probably five people that used to be at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about the client set, you think about partnerships and sponsorships that we're actively, you know, you start getting into literally the millions of millions, which creates, um, you know, again, an opportunity and a responsibility. So I think all of those things are, are reasons why it's just really important to, yes, keep your eye on those questions, but know that the answers to them will be very variable. And as CMOs, that's the positive side of it. Because if it were really simple, like, you know, go down to this row in this spreadsheet and go over and that's the answer, then you wouldn't need, um, you know, a professional executive, if you will, to lead the organization. Totally. I know. I love that. I mean, then that's why these the folks who find themselves in this role, I would argue, are the most dynamic, creative, thoughtful, strategic, um, passionate human beings to to work in business. I mean that it ha- you have and all the words you know pick the words agile you know right. um, lots of flexibility and um, innovative. But it's so true right. because it's the only it's the only role that demands that. But I think it it. And therefore, it demands that kind of appetite on the on the type of person who would who would take that on. I mean, in your case, of course, you're at a B two B. You're at a B two B. You're a CMO at a B two B company. Um, and and just back to Deloitte really quickly. You referenced it earlier. It is a complex organization with such a such a um, you know um, a past of different stories. You know what I mean? It's migration as a company as well. Um, so just talk a little bit about, you know, there's Deloitte, there's Deloitte Digital, there's obviously different lines of business. You know, how do you think about having it all ladder up to that singular purpose-driven brand, even when there's so much uh, variability in, in the true service offerings that, that you all provide? Yeah, so there's, there's um, you know, three things I think about. So the first and the foremost is that, you know, we're a master brand, right? So Deloitte is why most of our clients come to us, Right. And so at the brand level, what we're trying to be really clear with our clients and with our people is who we are and how that's different. And that is important because what we can't do too much, again, at the brand level is talk about necessarily the specifics of what we do because it's too complex. But, you know, I talked about sort of the brand versus demand, but what then I need to do, you know, to be able to deliver, you know, and be an active participant in the growth of the firm is to make sure that I can, you know, lead that. I, I talk about it being sort of a, my, my husband's a, an avid cyclist. And so I talk about it being, you know, the brand is the lead cyclist on, uh, on, uh, on a cycling team, right? And the notion of that is mm-hmm. you're creating the headwind that allows the, the other riders 
to not have to work so hard to be able to cross the finish line. But the truth of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, you're, you're doing that in service of those other cyclists. The point is to get them past the finish line the fastest, right? And so that's the mental model I asked our, our teams to do. So that's important. You know, this, the second piece is that is really important. Again, I think this is a shared, you know, challenge and opportunity is that our people spend more time, you know, demonstrably with our clients than I do from a marketing lens. So we have to really make sure that they're able to show up and that I'm creating stories from their experiences that both resonate with them, but also are indicative of the experience that our clients have um, with our within our organization. And the notion of that, Jenny, as well as the promise of Deloitte is that what we do is always changing, right? It's, you know, the agreement that we have with our clients is we're going to use the most modern technology, you know, technological capabilities that are available. We are going to use, you know, risk-free, faster solutions that we've road tested. Those are things that if, you know, we can promise for, you know, over 175 years, what those things actually look like have changed demonstrably. Um, you know, even mm. if you think about it in the past five years, in the past 10 years, right? And so it's that notion of really keeping in on the brand promise, but making it true to the experiences that people have with our clients every day. Mm. There's a, there's a, I live near Morristown, New Jersey, and there's a gorgeous new Deloitte office that opened up there. And I drive by it every day and I'm, I'm, I'm quite jealous. There's actually a sweet green opening up down below. And yeah, so well, side note, you guys, you guys do great, some, some gorgeous work workplaces well, for thank your, you thank you and drop employees. in anytime you let me know we've got people and i've got people on my team in morristown they'd love to there show you, go. you around I, I would love on my commute into the city um no no it's and it's just i mean listen it is it's and you have a brand to pr protect preserve and, and carry through you know um into all the ways that business continues to transform um i have to ask you this question about you know going back a step real quick there have been headlines recently. We talked about the variability of the CMO role in marketing. Um, you know, obviously the debate over how fundamental growth driver or not, necessity or not. Obviously, headlines seem to circle around every every few years, um, decrying the you know the death of the CMO or that this company is not replacing for that role, um, or they're calling it something by another name. You know, which to me is just is just semantics in many main cases. What's your view? What's the Suzanne take on that? Yeah, so the Suzanne take, the world according to Suzanne, is um, is twofold. <laughs> you know, I do think it's a real, you know, I mean, the, the the data doesn't lie with respect to it is a trend. I think that, and I, I don't worry a lot per se about it. I happen to also report in through um, the chief growth officer. Um, of the organization. So, um, so it, so it's, it's happening here as well. The way I do think about it is that it is feedback on the role. And there's, you know, two things I always say as I talk to, you know, friends who are CMOs and, and we, you know, like to learn from each other's experiences, right? So the first one I would say is that it is really important for CMOs today to be seen as true collaborators with the business unit heads, whether those mm. individuals are CEOs or presidents or whatever the case may be. And I do think that if you're starting to see a lot of it, it is it is feedback for you on the role that you're playing within your organization. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's cause for, you know, grave concern, 
but it is feedback. So you need to just make sure that, you know, the ground that you understand what is shifting in the organization that makes the, you know, CEO or whomever is making that decision feel that he or she needs to make that decision. Right. So that's mm, the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I always say is that you need to have three as a CMO in particular, but you know, this is probably true of most executives. You need to have three different kinds of people in your immediate sphere. The first one is people that are in rooms that you're not, but understand and are committed deeply to what you do. And that's really important because in some environments that could be a CFO, in some environments that could be, you know, my my chief growth officer that I report to, in some environments it could be a CEO, et cetera, et cetera, because you want the story that you're trying to tell to be told in places where you're not. So that's the first set. Mm-hmm. The second set I always say is that you have to have people that are, will provide you with the unvarnished truth. And it doesn't necessarily need to be, and actually in particular, it needs to be unwelcome truths, but that you know believes deeply in you and is committed to you as an an organization. And so I have that. I have multiple people in our organization that will call me and say like, hey, trouble is brewing and you're not showing up in the way that probably is your best foot forward. And that two sides of that is actually really important. One is that, you know, it's the truth regardless of, now they also call me and say like, you nailed that. You did a great job on that. But it needs to be that you're getting the truth and and in a way that you can react to it and work through it. And then the second thing is, you know, they believe in you. So it's sort of like when your partner or your friend or your mother or father say something to you, it feels different than if it's your arch nemesis, right? So that those two combinations of that I mean, person that, has to that come trust together. Trust and mutual respect yeah. that's inherent. Yeah. 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 And then last is I say you all you also have to have people on your team that free you up to do the things that you do best. In my example, I'm an extreme, what we call in business chemistry, uh, pioneer, which means that I'm a nonlinear thinker. I'm very strategic. I'm very creative. And I can be super frustrating for people that like process, like things ticked and tied, et cetera, et cetera. So I need people like that on my team because if I wade into those waters, I don't do a very good job and it takes a lot of my energy. But both of those things need to happen. So you will see that CMOs sometimes will get caught because if they don't have people that complement their styles or complement the real work that needs to get done, it still does need to get done. It's just that it needs to be done kind of as a collective unit, not necessarily by the CMO per se. I'm going to ask you a question that demands a much more complex answer, but I'll ask for a simple answer. Are there any, practically, are there any skills or aptitudes or expertise that you think the modern CMO really, really should be focused on right now, acquiring somehow? I think the first one is listening. And I think that is, and and the thing I always ask my teams to do is to listen in three ways that are, you know, maybe slightly unusual. One is to listen to what people are doing, not what they're saying. So if you, you know, if, if, if I, um, you know, if someone is saying they're committed to what I'm doing, but I can't ever get time with them, or if people have said they're supportive of the brand positioning, but it's not showing up in the work, like all of those are signals and I have to listen to them. I think the digital listening, right? You know, if you think about all of the websites, the data, all of that sort of thing, it, it is an un, you know, there, there isn't as much noise in that data as there are in like humans listening. 
So we really need to make sure that we understand and are comfortable. It doesn't mean things are bad, but it does mean we have to react to it when the signal is strong enough that something isn't working. And then last but not least, I'm doing, I'm trying to build into every internal presentation I'm doing. I'm trying to build in ways that I can get a better read of the room besides the loudest voice or, you know, really getting a sense of what the, what the room is. So I'm doing a lot more polling. I'm doing a lot more kind of, you know, like visual, like, you know, kind of old fashioned, like stickers on things so that we can get a better read and I can listen to more voices around the table than I can if I'm just answering questions. Um, and it's a little bit more of a broadcast reception type mode. Love that. With everything we do with Marketing Vanguard at Adweek, you know, whether it's this podcast or our events or gatherings, um, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're engaging CMOs and, and equivalent titles, but also their plus one rising stars to get those people in the room with the conversations that CMOs are having um, so that they have access, they can learn from that. Um, who's somebody on your team? Who's who's a rising star on your team that you would like to call out? I'm sure there are many, but is there any particular person who you feel like is really your right hand person? Is is you know somebody you're learning from as much as they're learning from you? Um, yeah, it's a great question, and I always get a little bit nervous about throwing out um, names. But since people did it for me, I'll do it for others. Um, we have a person that I'm working very closely with in the brand space named Christian Parsons. I think he's doing a lot of really good work around our brand positioning. I think there is Scott Major is one of our business unit um, BCMOs. You probably know him, what, what we call BCMOs. I think he adds a lot of activity and, and um, you know, good ideas to the mix. Um, he's always thinking. He's always curious. I really like that. There are, um, and there's just, you know, sort of a ton of that, that on the, on the, on the flip side, um, there are some people that are doing some really creative things for us around social, um, yeah. you know, Adrian, you know who you are. So like th there's a, <laughs> there's a bunch of good voices um, that I rely on heavily. Yeah. Does the future look bright? Do you think that there's, you know, the next generation, I mean, how many aspire to be CMO in your, in your experience, you know, is marketing a profession that you think has legs for the, you know, in terms of the next generation seeking it out? You know, I mean, we've, We've been around A and A and others who have talked about you know marketing has a marketing problem, but what can what are you seeing number one and what can we continue to do as an industry to make sure that this is actually um, you know a profession that the next generation wants to pursue is invested in pursuing and actually feels like they can build a career in. Um, so I think the simple answer is a hundred percent. I think it's a great place, and I think that the the future generations will continue to see it as a great way to make a difference in organizations. And I believe that because I think at the core of marketing organizations are two things, creativity and connection. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that the world is in desperate need of and, and cannot be replaced by technological advancements and things like that. So I do believe that if we do it right, we will continue we, we will continue to see that future generations see it as a place that really makes a difference, um, is um, integral to what our organizations need, and a place where you can really make a difference and have fun. Um, so I think that's really important. I think the dangerous part about that, though, is that that has to be done in concert with the organization. And so, you know, we have to be careful that we don't 
accidentally in our way to sort of bolster the marketing organization, pit it against the rest of the organization. Um, Because it is like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, my husband and I form a great team with our 15 year old son, but we each have strengths and weaknesses. And it's sort of collectively, collectively pitching in that we get through the day and and through the week and the month. And so I think it's that sort of mentality because I do believe that marketers have to be really careful to not forget that their superpowers are very different than other people around the organization. But collectively, we need everybody's. Yep. Last quick question. I'm going to ask you to name names again, but this one should be a little bit simpler. It's really just the last question I ask folks on the the podcast is who's next, you know, as, as I continue to um, grow circles and and um, and and talk to to people, um, you know, who who is one CMO uh, peer who you admire either from afar who you've never met but you see them doing some pretty extraordinary stuff, or somebody you know super super well, a good friend perhaps that you feel we should invite onto the Marketing Vanguard podcast. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, s- somebody that is a friend of mine that I um, just think the world of, and I think she's got an, an amazing story and has just undertaken a new responsibility is Nijo Tito Reed, if you don't know her, but um, love her. I, I, I have not yeah. had her on the podcast yet. She, though, so I need to she do is that. fabulous. I mean, both her story yeah. and, and sort of, um, you know, currently what she's embarking on, I think is a great thing. You know, um, Alicia Tillman, who I mm-hmm. think has popped up and really knowing, knowing your audience is Delta. So I think smart. that's, yeah. um, the, um, I love, um, and, and I know her more from afar, but, um, Julia White, you know, formerly of Microsoft now at SAP, yep. I think she's done some really interesting things in sort of the product marketing and now having a, a broader remit. You know, Sarah Franklin was the CMO yep. of Salesforce, now the CEO of Lattice. That's kind of an interesting, play. And then and you know, I last but not least, sorry, one more. Um, yeah. Sherry Rhodes from Workday because she's got the broader customer remit. Um, yeah. So I think that's always really interesting as well. I love that. I love those last two examples because there's because those are two examples of you said broader customer remit and then, um, you know, the migration from, from CMO to CEO, which um, I personally find super fascinating. I've been tr- kind of tracking that over the years. And, I, you know, anytime you see that, to me, it just signals um, that that there's just, back to your original point, I mean, there's just such such extraordinary skills and, and aptitude and necessity of of the marketing mind in, in driving business growth. And so to see folks make that migration to the, to the president or CEO role, it's exciting to see um, yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah. So Suzanne, Cannot thank you enough. We're, we're going to have to continue the conversation, um, perhaps over a glass of rosé and can this this summer, maybe or something else. So I would love to see you in person sometime soon. That would be um, fabulous. And, and if it presents itself, we can have rosé at Morristown. Oh yeah, perfect. <laughs> that that that's a plan over we'll a sweet green salad. <laughs> yeah, a lot more close to home. But. Um, in the meantime, so good to see you and talk to you, and I look forward to. Um, yeah, getting together soon. So thanks Sounds so much. Great. Always, always good to see and hear from you, Jenny. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. 
You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.